The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Influencers Edge. To say that my guest today is a superstar would be an incredible understatement. Our guest today is Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is an unbelievable entrepreneur, teacher. Uh, I'm going, Vanessa, I'm just going to take a crack at doing your biography, but it's so long. We may have to cut it short. Just the highlights, just the highlights. That's enough. All right. So Vanessa is the lead investigator at Science of People. She is the best-selling author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People translated into 16 languages. Do you actually have copies of your book and all of those languages? Yeah. While you're reading, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the weirdest one. You keep going. Okay. All right. I'm going to keep going. Look at her charisma already. Um, And she's also also the author of Hughes, Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication. More than 50 million people watch her engage in YouTube tutorials and TEDx talks. She works with entrepreneurs, Growing businesses and trillion-dollar companies, uh, I, I can't even begin to do that. Her groundbreaking workshops and courses have taught half a million students worldwide how to succeed in business and life by understanding the hidden dynamics of people. And above all, everything else, if I can just say, you do this while being a mom. The hardest part. It's yes, the hardest yes, part. I, have... I don't know how you do this. Oh, my, a four-year-old and... And one on the way. I don't know oh if you can, the bump goodness. is there. The bump is there. Wait, can I just show you the funniest thing? Sure. So this is my, this is my cover, right? Right. What what would you think that they giraffes? Just just a bunch of giraffes. So my my cover has a picture. Of this one is my book, and I think Bulgarian. And they just picked a bunch of giraffes. I don't know why. No idea. Why? Yes, gir- that's why the translated one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but they they assure me it's my book. But I, I don't know why there's much drafts I on it. I understand. So I want to ask you a question that I'm sure you've never been asked before. Oh. I either read it or seen it. You describe yourself as a recovering awkward person. Yeah. So first and foremost, it's I find it hard for to believe because I've watched your YouTube videos. I watched your TEDx talk where you commanded that stage. Oh. I don't. Uh, I'm going to take your word on it that you are a recovering awkward person. Yes. What do you mean in your history that you were awkward and how has that driven your desire to investigate human behavior and to teach people to be more effective and charismatic communicators? 
So what's funny about awkwardness is I think it dresses up as different things. So some people who are awkward, they shut down, they go inward, um, they become quiet, they become negative, um, they wanna be reclusive. Other people in their awkwardness go loud. They wanna be the life of the party, they interrupt, they overtalk. And so what I realize is I, my awkwardness comes out as social overthinking. So what I mean by this is I get very in my own head, or I used to get very in my own head where I'd be in a social interaction. And instead of being present, I would be overthinking everything I said. And usually, unfortunately, very negative. Oh, you sound so silly. Oh, why did you say that? You are so boring. And so what happened was I would get in this very negative cycle in my head. I would also lay in bed at night, replaying every conversation that I'd had during the day. Right. And also a, a symptom of this, and I actually realized there's research on this, that a lot of people who have social awkwardness or social anxiety, I would misinterpret negative cues, neutral cues as negative. So I had trouble reading neutral faces as negative. So what would happen was I would leave a party or I would leave a meeting and I would turn to my husband and say, I think she's really mad at me. He'd be like, what? What do you mean? I'd be like, did you see her face? And what was happening was, for whatever reason, I'm not very adept at reading nonverbal cues. And so I was assuming Whoa, whoa, negativity. pause, pause, yes. pause. You can't drop that and, and let me not develop that. <laughs> to this day, are you still not good at reading no. nonverbal cues? No. So, so because of this deficit that I discovered, I think I was 22 or 23, I took like a little test and I was misinterpreting all these cues. That's when I set out to learn nonverbal like a language. At the time... I was um, learning Mandarin and Spanish, and I love language. And I thought, what if I just try to translate body language into vocab words? And that was how I learned it. So now I feel very adept at it, but I literally speak body language like someone would speak a language. I have to think about structure. I think about vocab words, but I had to fix that skill. Well, this begs the question, and we're going to dive into our topic cues and charisma for personal development for sales. But this begs the question, how did you get into the state of mind where you were able to stop all that chatter in your head and interpreting people's behavior? Because if you don't get the mindset right, then all of the incredible information you use is, is just entertainment and a waste of time. Yes. How did you correct that mindset, Vanessa? Okay, so what I had to do for myself, this is gonna sound weird, I had to use a displacement tactic. So you know how when you say to someone, don't think of a pink elephant, and right. then all they think of is, doesn't work. So just not overthinking didn't work, right? I, for years, I tried to tell myself, don't be negative, which doesn't work. Or I tried to say, don't overthink, which doesn't work. So instead, I used a displacement tactic, which is I was trying to replace all the negative talk with the formula and the map. So learning nonverbal, learning charisma cues, learning sort of the language of charismatic people, which didn't come naturally to me at all, replaced the overthinking. So instead of thinking, I'm in a conversation, instead of thinking, oh, that sounded really boring, or this is really silly. Instead, I was thinking, I think this person is showing warmth. Wow, they use a lot of hand gestures. They're using a lot of nodding. Okay, warmth, warmth likes warmth. Okay, I'm gonna nod back. I'm gonna smile back. I like this person. I wanna show them I like this person. And that sounds very calculating, but for me, it was something to do. It gave my brain something to do other than overthink. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with calculating if it 
if it leads to if it leads to a result and obviously it has for you and for how many people have taken your body language have enrolled in people school so we've had i think we just counted recently i think we've had 2.7 million in all of our courses and a couple hundred thousand in like our master classes wow. we should do and- a you're so busy with it and with a baby on the way at some point maybe in a year we should do a uh, uh, a episode on being an entrepreneur because obviously you're at the top and and those are actually oddly like very different skill sets right like charisma is its own skill set and entrepreneurship is also a different skill set so yes that would be really fun let's dive into charisma so many people when they think of charisma they think of tony robbins he's in front of fifty thousand people he's got everyone on the palm of his hand he's got this incredible energy he can go for 18 hours and get people whipped up and and so would you explode that charisma and by the way i think i'm not buttering your bread i think you have (laughs) tremendous charisma particularly when you're on stage you command the stage so let's talk about charisma myths Okay. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for that kind word. Um, it's not accidental. It's it's worked. I think Tony Robbins has a natural charisma. What Tony Robbins has done is he's one flavor of charisma. And there is a myth, and I used to believe this myth, that to be charismatic, you had to be the outgoing, full of energy life of the party. You had to dominate the stage. You had to have big body language, big voice. That is one flavor of charisma. That is Tony Robbins. What research has actually found is that there are many flavors of charisma. And in fact, you do not have to be outgoing. You do not have to be life of the party. You don't even have to be energy to be charismatic. That's one flavor. There's also power, powerful contemplative introverts. There's also compassionate, empathetic healers. Those are all different flavors of charisma. And when they boil down very charismatic people, this is research out of Princeton University, they found that very highly charismatic people, what they're doing is they're ranking high in two specific traits. And they are constantly signaling these traits to the world. The traits are warmth and competence. That highly warm and competent folks are signaling trust, likability, friendliness, but at the very same time, they're signaling competence, power, reliability, and efficiency. So how you showcase those is different for extroverts and introverts, but really the only two traits that are important for charisma are warmth and competence. So you don't necessarily even have to be a great speaker. You can, you can, this is an incredible, an incredible reverse of what most people think. You don't have to be a great speaker as long as you demonstrate competence and warmth. So let's talk about that because I understand warmth and we'll talk about some of the cues because that's the name of your latest book and it is genius. You need to get that book. (laughs) It's true. What are some of the cues that people can do to give off competence? Because we don't know if I'm going into a meeting, I don't know if I don't know this person's track record, I don't know necessarily that they're competent at their job. So how do we cue people that were competent and why is competent competence important? What does it create in that yes. half of the equation? Yes. Yeah, so remember that when we're interacting with someone, whether that's someone new or someone we already know, whether that's going into a meeting with someone that we're trying to suss out, there's two questions we're trying to ask. Can I trust you, which is warmth, but the second one is more important, which is competence. Can I rely on you? Competence is actually about, can I rely on what you say you're gonna follow through? It's true, and you've done your your backup or your resources or your, your research. So competence is specifically answering the questions, the question, you can rely on me. 
That's what competence is. Um, and I'm going to do what I say I do. Let's talk about the very easiest competence cue. This is the fastest, one of the fastest ways we decide someone's competence. It's kind of a funny one, which is very highly competent people. They know their stuff. They know their message. They know their values. They can rely on themselves. So they show that you can rely on them. And one way that they signal this is they are congruent with their words and their nonverbal, specifically their hand gestures. So one of the research experiments we did at Science People is uh, we looked at TED Talks. So I love TED Talks and I was curious with TED Talks, why do some TED Talks go viral and others don't? Here are all these speakers are competent, but some are exceptionally competent, right? Some TED Talks have a couple hundred thousand views, couple thousand views, others have millions. And I wanted to know why. So we analyzed thousands of hours of TED Talks, looking at the differences between the most viewed TED Talks and the least viewed TED Talks. So this is purely by view count. What we found is when you, when you lined up the most popular and least popular next, next to them side by side, there was the striking difference. The most popular TED Talkers were congruent with their gestures. It was like they were speaking to the audience on two tracks. They would say something with their words and outline the word with their hands. So for example, all the best TED Talks, similarly, they start like this. <clears throat> Today, I wanna to talk to you about a big idea. I'm gonna break it down into three different areas that are gonna change your life. They all start with that kind of cadence and specifically gestures. Cause if I were gonna get on stage and say, today I'm gonna to talk to you about three ideas and hold up the number five. <laughs> your brain's like, no, Vanessa, it's five. That is because the brain gives more weight to gestures. When on average, the brain gives 12.5 times more weight to a gesture. So if I say I have a really big idea and I hold up my fingers like I'm holding a dime, your brain is more likely to believe that it's the size of a dime. That's because it's hard to lie with gestures. So very competent people, they know their stuff so well that they're able to speak to you and outline their words with their gestures. So you'll notice introverts, extroverts, charismatic people, they are using their gestures incredibly purposefully to help your brain understand them. That makes sense. Let's take a little bit again of a, I don't know if it's a side turn, but what is the importance of being charismatic? What does it hmm. allow you to achieve? What's the end goal of being charismatic? And then a second little side question, What's the difference between someone who's charismatic and someone who's charming? Is there a difference oh. between the two? Yes. Okay. So what's interesting about the Princeton research is they, the way they developed the research is they were looking at highly charismatic people, people were drawn to. And again, those people are high in warmth and competence. Now, usually people have a imbalance of warmth and competence. There are people who are higher in warmth. There are people who are higher in competence. If you're higher in warmth, you're often seen as friendly trustworthy, likable, but the downside is people don't take you seriously. Right. They don't think they can rely on you. They interrupt you, right? If you're high in warmth without enough competence, people don't take your ideas seriously. They interrupt you at work and they don't ask for your opinion. So that's the downside of not hitting the both. If you're high in competence without warmth, and this is actually a dangerous one, most of my students are brilliant. They're high achieving professionals, off the charts in their technical smarts, but somehow they have not caught up in their social smarts. And what they have found is, this is direct from the research, high competence without enough warmth leaves people feeling suspicious. 
So you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you don't have enough warmth, people do not believe in your competence. Wow. They do not believe in your ideas. So people are suspicious of you. If you're high in competence without warmth, without that charisma balance, people say you're cold, you're intimidating, you're hard to talk to, Right. you get you have trouble uh, breaking rapport with people, and that's because that, that there's this distance of suspicion. The last category, and this is the worst, what if you have neither warmth nor competence? Wow. Right? Neither warmth nor competence is the scary place to be. I think this is where I was for a long time. Neither warmth nor competence means you're pitied, you're ignored, you're underestimated, you're overlooked, you're forgotten. And that's because we need to signal warmth and competence to be remembered. And so what happens is when we get very nervous, like as a social overthinker, I under-signaled. I shut down. I didn't send any cues at all. So people forgot me. They literally could not. Oh, I find that so hard. I believe you and I it's don't true. believe you. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Your right and, hand. Raise your right hand. This is my right hand. Yes. And say, <laughs> I swear it's true. <laughs> I swear it's true. I was awkward. And you know what? I think there's also remember, I'm in a situation right now where I feel very comfortable. We're having a great discussion. I love this show. We're talking about my favorite topics. So in classroom settings, if you had met me in classroom settings or with my family, yeah, you would have thought, oh, she's charismatic. Ooh. But if you saw me at a nightclub or a bar or a frat party or a barbecue, whew, that's where my awkwardness came out. Wow. So you have to also remember, not everyone is awkward in all situations. And so I'm in my comfort zone, but I right. promise if you and I were to meet, at a loud networking event, I would not be charismatic. It would be very hard for me wow. to bring out. And I avoid those. I don't go to those events. <laughs> That's very interesting. You bring up an interesting point that charisma can be contextual. There's yes. some people, I know some people who are magnetic in person. They can walk into a room, the air goes out of the room. But I know a couple of people, some of my clients have told me, no problem. But as soon as I get on stage to give a talk, I'm frozen. So you agree yes. it's contextual. Yes, because, okay, if we're going to go back to your original, original question of, of triggers, of childhood, where this came from, I had very great experiences in learning environments, in familial environments with my closest friends. I, I, was, I was welcomed and I was accepted. I had some very early bad experiences at school dances, and those were in loud very boisterous gymnasiums. I had some bad experiences at early birthday parties. That body trauma or whatever you, however you want to call it, like right. the loudness actually triggers that kind of body feeling where I really have to fight and be like, what is charisma, warmth and confidence? Like I have to go back to that place. And so I think if you really want to deep dive for yourself, if you think about your earliest awkward social memories, when you didn't feel supported, when you felt scared, when you were rejected, that's going to carry with you even to today, Correct. even in a work setting where logically you say, why am I nervous? But your body feels nervous. Got it. Let's dive into some cues that we can give off. So we've talked about charisma and we've talked about warmth. So what are some of the cues that we can easily, like a takeaway that someone can use today, a viewer and or listener can use today to indicate warmth? Particularly if you're mm. not like, I, I want to make this even more challenging for introverts. <laughs> I'm extraordinarily extroverted. I'm on the extrovert scale to the extreme. 
Yes. Oh, okay. So how do we do it? How does an introvert go about signaling warmth? I got you. Okay. I love it. So for my introverts, I love my introverts. So I'm actually an ambivert. I'm somewhere in between, but I love my introverts, especially my really smart introverts. Okay. So as an introvert for warmth, you ha have more trouble verbalizing warmth right? Because you typically, and they've actually studied this, introverts speak less words than the average day. So all my warmth is for you is going to be nonverbal. And that is showing warmth. So here are the fastest way to literally warm up a conversation. One, they found a slow triple nod. One, two, three. Encourages the other person to speak 67% more. So warmth is all about making someone feel welcomed, acknowledged, heard, encouraged. So the very first thing you can do, and you can do this, by the way, if you're on Zoom and you're like on mute, you can even do this. A slow triple nod when you really like a point or you really want to emphasize something is one, two, three. That literally encourages them to speak longer. Just be careful. Don't make it a fast nod. So look at the difference. Slow means I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Oh, wow. Versus fast is and you just shifted. You just shifted your voice tone a little bit. You, yeah. you went down and register and you softened it. Yeah. Right. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Versus a fast triple nod is impatience. Uh-huh. 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 Oh, yes. So it's a slow triple nod and it's not a bobblehead. So it's not just doing this the and entire how time. You, okay. How do you get people to get rid of speech errors like um um uh-huh uh -huh. drives me crazy when i work with my clients or, or or out in public and people go yeah 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 when they're listening it drives me up a wall how do you teach your clients like v i'm assuming you also work with super vip clients you're working with corporations etc how do you get them to eliminate those i guess you call them speech errors what would you call them when they're when they're by the way, I actually don't see clients, which is crazy, okay. I know, but I, I, I'm, my awkwardness is not my best around clients. I do much <laughs> better with students. Uh, so you were talking about the difference actually between fillers and vocalizations. Yes. This is a really important difference. So vocalizations are an aspect of warmth. A good vocalization is, oh, mm, ah, wow, interesting. Those are all vocalizations. By the way, funny note is women love them, men like them less. That's funny because I will tell you, Paul, I love a vocalization. <laughs> I love it's it. almost flirtatious. The way you do it, there's a line. This uh, I know line. I'm curly it's a line. with my questions. How, for women, men know, mm -hmm. but for women, particularly in business setting, they have to be careful not to be flirtatious. I, t I totally agree. And there is a border there, right? Warmth and flirtation, it's a very fine line. So um, vocalizations, yes, they're very warm. So warm, they can almost be intimate. So women typically like hearing and using vocalizations more. Men like them less. So typically, I try to under vocalize in that way because I don't want to annoy uh, someone who doesn't like them. A filler are words that don't serve any purpose or sounds that don't serve any purpose. They're literally filling. Uh, well, so, you know, oh, like, right. I want to hear it now. <laughs> so here, so first they're different. Okay. Vocalizations that are purposeful, that are adding emphasis or encouraging someone can be great if you feel comfortable doing them. Fillers are not great. The only way that I've known people to be able to combat them is with an app called Ummo. And don't worry, they don't sponsor me. I just like their app. 
It is literally an app. It records your speech and it pings you and it counts your ums whenever you use a filler word. It's so annoying. It will get you to stop. <laughs> oh yeah. man, that's hilarious, Vanessa. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, all right. So that's indicating warmth. What are some of the cues that we can give? You know, they have the typical one. I can't do it because of the way my green screen is set up, but the typical power pose, what's the difference between power posing and signaling competence? Because the typical thing, hands on your hips, legs, akimbo, right? Yeah. So, you know, power posing I have an interesting relationship with power posing because yes, it is very powerful, but you can't... Uh, let me say this better. I think when Amy Cuddy came out and started talking about power posing, she's right. Yes, expansive body posture is pride. It shows a lot of pride, it shows a lot of power. But I'm not gonna, as an ambivert, I'm not gonna walk into my meetings like this. I'm here. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Nor would you like that. No. So power posing, yes, it can get you in the right mindset in private. What actually I prefer is just expansive posture. And what I mean by this is there's three measurements that matter the most in professional and social settings. That these are the measurements that when we're very quickly trying to decide how confident someone is we're looking at. The very first one is the distance between your earlobe and your shoulder. And that sounds like a very weird measurement, but when someone's anxious, they typically turtle. They lower their chin down, they pull their shoulders up, and they have very little space between their shoulders and their earlobe. And we very quickly, if we see someone on Zoom or on a call go, hey, morning everyone, they immediately look less confident to us. So first, in your first impression, this is for competence, right? This is an aspect of confidence or competence, is maximizing the distance between your shoulder and your earlobe. It's the very first thing. It's a very easy one. The second measurement I like the best is the measurement between your torso and your arms. Again, people who are very anxious, they tightly Hi. wrap their arms to their sides. They tend to penguin where their arms never leave their sides. <laughs> wait, wait. Right? And, Turtle, penguin, giraffe. We see the connection now. <laughs> oh, my, maybe that was it. By the way, I just realized that they're two animals. And the next one I better make an animal for. I better think of it quickly. So, again, re relaxing your arms and gesturing a little bit broader than your body, like having a little bit of space in here. It's why I always position my camera when I'm on video so you can see a little bit of my torso. It just gotcha. signals I'm relaxed, you know? I want to see more of your torso, Paul. Like, where is it? Where's your torso? We gotta da, see da, da. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. And the last one you can't see, this is only for in-person, is the distance between your feet, right? So again, think of like a little girl being nervous. She presses her legs tightly together, even crosses her legs over the other. That indicates she's not firmly planted. So we like people who have a nice, firm plant. That also makes you feel more stable. Makes sense to me. Makes uh, dollars and cents to me. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about. And we're. Uh, I know your time is super valuable. We'll wrap up shortly. So, you talked about charisma for introverts, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Let's go to the other side of extroverts because. And here's why I say it: because an extrovert, in my experience, is far more likely to go over the top and the blow people's circuits. We say, we talk a lot about rapport. And one of the things that I teach my students and clients is rapport can be dangerous because if you're in rapport with someone and you're at a level 10, they're suddenly gonna feel 10 and they're gonna feel uncomfortable 
So you have to be able to read them. So let's talk about this. How can an extrovert demonstrate charisma without blowing the doors off and terrorizing and, and overloading the people who are on the receiving end? Okay, so extroverts have a social superpower. And their social, social superpower is that they get energy from people. And that is really amazing, but they have to learn how to hone it. So I'm actually gonna give extroverts a very, very hard tip, but it's the most important tip for exactly preventing what you just talked about, which is mirroring and matching. Extroverts, since they love being around people, they tend to have more exuberance, they're more outgoing, they have high energy. And this can come out not just in actual energy, but the amount of words they use, the amount of time they speak, the volume of their words. Yes, extroverts, statistically speaking, speak on average louder than introverts. None of those things are bad, but if you're speaking to someone who speaks more slowly, who uses less words, who uses less volume, who uses less gestures, you're gonna blow them away. So an extrovert, what you can do to hone your superpower is the very first thing I want you to do in the first few seconds of interaction is your temperature taking. What volume is this person at? How fast are they speaking? Are they using lots of gestures like this or are they using very few gestures? And then it's like a thermostat. You're not gonna match them completely because that would feel unnatural to you. Sure. But I want you to dial down if they're down or dial up if they're up. It's specifically in gestures, volume, pace, and space, like how much space you're taking up. If you can ma match in those four areas, you are gonna help them feel like they're on the same page as you. Got it. Fantastic. Vanessa, you provided so much value in such a short time. And I'm just going to say it. I, I don't say it often to guests. I personally think you're a genius. You're a genius and oh. how you formulate your genius. Look at you like, no, accept a compliment. And you're in a genius and how you communicate. And you also communicate tremendous warmth. Mm. You have a tremendous depth of knowledge. You're very brilliant, but there's no you're totally relatable. I have so many people I work with who are technically brilliant. They're very, I don't like the term left-brained because it's a way oversimplification. We know it doesn't work that way, but they're very digital. They're in their head. They're software programmers and engineers, and they just, they just are so competent, but they don't know how to display that warmth. And you just seem to me to, of those two things, I'm almost done. Yeah. Of competence and warmth, which yeah. one was the one that you had to put most effort into and which one came most naturally to you? Hmm. I ask different questions, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also, it's contextual. So um, in this kind of setting, I had to learn warmth because I thought, oh, I have to blow them away with my competence. I have oh. to use big words. I have to use lots of signs. I mean, my, the, my name of my company is Science of People. It's a highly competent name because I felt like I had to prove myself and I had to be impressive. An example of this from a business side is, you know, the first draft of my first book was so competent. My editor sent it back to me and she said, Vanessa, this doesn't sound like you. And so in podcast learning settings, I was throwing my competence at someone to, to desperately hope they would rely on me. So I had to learn to bring in some of my natural warmth. I had to learn it to, oh yes, I can be a human and also teach. I can share valuable information, but also talk about mistakes and talk about vulnerability and say, I don't know. So in this setting, I had to bring in the warmth. And then in social settings, I tend to be a people pleaser. 
that's, people pleasers are very high in warmth. They're overly warm. They say yes to things that they shouldn't say yes to. And so in social settings, I've had to work on boundaries, how to say no, um, how to stand firm, how to, as a mother, how to know what I know, you know, how to really own my intuition and, and stick to it. So it's actually been both on both sides. Cool. Well, I'm sure my audience would love to find out more about what you offer and your courses. What's the best, the single best way that they can get in touch and find out more about what you offer? Oh, I'm grateful. So uh, my website is scienceofpeople.com. I have a newsletter I write every week. I work very hard on them. Every newsletter is incredibly helpful and jam-packed. It's totally free. So I'd highly recommend if you're open to it, go sign up to that. Um, if you're more of a reader or a listener, I read my Audible books, so you could get cues. There's 96 cues to learn, just like learning a language. And then if you really want the advanced stuff, you're welcome to check out People School. That's our big flagship course. It's the 12, school, 12 skills I always wish I learned in school on communication. Vanessa, thank you so much. You've really honored me by being on the show. And uh, I can't tell you how grateful I am because I know you're extraordinarily busy human and, and in huge demand and your mom, which I, I, I don't know how you do that job alone. What to say, do everything you do. Oh my goodness. Well, it's such an honor to be on. I love the work you do. I was super excited to see your lineup and I'd also am very grateful to reach your tribe and your folks, um, and to try to help in any way that I can. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Vanessa. We'll see you next time on the Influencer's Edge. Okay, give me 10 seconds. Sure. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411321. That's COMPEL to 411321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on the Influencers Edge Show.